and that'll be the uh, yeah. Okay, everybody, thank you so much, all of you, and all of you different platforms for tuning in. And that means that uh, I'll just go check this thing right here. And then once I've uh, sufficiently done that, then I'll go over here and I'm going to click this button over here. And this button is a great button because it plays the intro music for Surreal Politics. Wait a second. You can't do that. You have to hit record on the video first. After you've hit record on the video, then you go ahead, you play the intro music. They love that intro music. And you got to have it in the video recording for all the bit shoot guys. I love you, bit shoot guys. Love bit shoot. See you soon. Good to be with all of you for Stage 1, Episode 17, which I have titled Demonic Depravity. And uh, I don't necessarily mean that literally. I have yet to find, you know, the, the demon fingerprints and anything. But, you know, if people are behaving like demons, let's just call them that, right? I, I'm, I'm getting comfortable with the terminology, I guess, is because it does a better job of explaining things sometimes, right? I got to, I've gotten to a point where um, I, uh, I've, you guys have heard me touch on my religious views. I'm not going to reiterate them today. Um, they are not, uh, uh, they are not very uh, robust, let's say. But I no longer feel bad to say things like "God bless you." I, I, I no longer feel bad to. Uh, I don't feel like I'm deceiving people to say that, right? And I no longer feel like deceptive to just call people demonic, you know, when they're, say, advocates of, you know, preying on children for their sexual gratification. You know, just call them demons. And I think that that just, you know, it just cuts through a lot of nonsense, right? You just be like, you're demonic, and maybe you should stop being demonic, or maybe you don't have the capacity to, and we should just, you know, sort of like put you out of your misery or at least, like, get you away from us, you know, you can be in your misery. Like, we'll have you in misery in prison forever, for example. That'd be fine. We don't necessarily need to put you out of your—like, you could be miserable. Like, that might be better, actually. But, you know, I'm just going to call you demonic is kind of the point that I'm getting at. And there seems to be, you know, a certain amount of—there's like, a lot of—you know, if you if you consider evil behavior evidence of demonic activity— like, there's an abundance of that, actually, right? And so, you know, we'll just call people good and evil. You're demonic. You hate God. You're a monster. You know, if, you know, we'll worry about the literal interpretations of these things later. It just, it just makes more sense this way. You know what I mean? 
And I mean, if you if you today, if you accuse of wrongdoing anybody in the government who happens to be held in the favor of the leftist media, you're instantly going to be you know accused of being a conspiracy theorist, right? They're going to say you're a, you're a QAnon crackpot, right? And that term is left intentionally vague, of course. It shares this feature with other terms, you know, epithets like racist and other left-wing buzzwords which serve little purpose in the mind of the informed observer other than to identify the target of the attack as a non-democrat fundamentally is really what that's about. These are catchphrases which have become more a reliable standby for the most disgusting people in our society to silence their critics than they are actual terms of any linguistic value. Rather than explain, they confuse. Rather than provide meaning, they hinder discernment. For the informed observer, the person hurling these epithets is a crime suspect. They are not informing the community of a problem by shouting out warnings. They are trying to divert suspicion from their nefarious behavior by shouting nonsense distractions is more an accurate assessment of their behavior. This was perhaps never clearer. <laughs> I couldn't believe this. You know, Somebody posted a, 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 a meme. I thought this was great. There's like a—I'll so I'll get to that. This was perhaps never clearer than in the recent controversy over a film— titled The Sound of Freedom, because, you know, they don't like, that's noise to them. The Sound of Freedom is very troubling to some people. Your humble correspondent, I haven't seen the film at this time to speak intelligently of it, but what I have seen is a very familiar pattern of behavior by the usual suspects, which sheds light on a very important subject much closer to home, I, I promise. The film in question asserts what is now a controversial value judgment, namely that molesting children is bad. It's not a good idea to rape babies. Now, you know, it's a good thing I'm not on YouTube anymore because, you know, you might get in trouble for that. That's that's goes against the LGBTP thing, you know. Now, because of this crime thing, the film has been branded by the left-wing press as a QAnon conspiracy theory and outraged people in the media are panicking that anyone might dare say something so dangerous as molesting children is not okay. That's right, I said it. I said it right in front of you. I hope you got your kids out of the room. And the liberal media, you know, they might find some support for this view by using some of their usual tactics, right? For example, it's now popular to say Hitler did this and you did this. Therefore, you are Hitler and therefore you are bad. And, you know, when you realize the absurdity of that, you might think every part of that premise, you know. But if this is accepted, of course, you know, if, the, if you accept that as a reasonable thing to do, then one can easily say that those who oppose molesting children are criminals, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense because you know who really, really, really doesn't like pedophiles. That's right. Criminals. Criminals hate pedophiles. Criminals target child molesters for violence in prison. And for this reason, child molesters are typically kept in what is known as protective custody. Because, you know, the, the government, they have to protect the pedophiles. It's like the most important thing that they do, actually. In recent headlines, as a matter of fact, just yesterday morning, former Michigan State University and USA Gymnastics doctor Larry Nasser was stabbed multiple times at a federal prison in Florida where he is serving his 175-year sentence. 
Nasser, 59, pleaded guilty in 2018 to molesting dozens of young female athletes under his care and possessing child pornography. Nasser was placed in the Florida facility after he was assaulted by another inmate in May of 2018, shortly after beginning his incarceration at a prison in Arizona. Assuming he does not soon die of natural causes, Nasser will likely be targeted again before he has finished serving the remaining 170 years of his sentence. He's hardly unique in this, of course. This stuff happens all of the time, much to the dismay of the pedophiles, of course. So if criminals hate pedophiles and you hate pedophiles, well, then you must be a criminal, sir. You QAnon crackpot now get over it and give your kids to the drag queens already, huh? And of course, if you fall for that, well, you know, I'm not going to say your children deserve the outcome, but you should certainly lose your world's greatest dad mug. That's for sure. At a minimum, you know, you don't get to wear that T-shirt anymore, pal. Now, an altogether less familiar opposition to pedophilia is some kind of media boogeyman known as QAnon. Now, what I know of QAnon is composed primarily of Telegram spam, in which I am unceasingly uh, met with a series of fake accounts popping into my chat room and comment sections to make outrageous claims about weather modification and human cloning, invariably with some invitation to join a secret group where they will soon uncover all the secrets of the deep state or something. I don't know. The same scheme is found in direct messages to my listeners on that platform as accounts pretending to be me send them direct messages, offering them important information, usually followed by some kind of cryptocurrency scam that will promise to end pedophilia for a small fee. And so I do not much like what I know of QAnon because I'm not a big fan of spam or fraud, but to the extent to the extent QAnon dislikes pedophilia, the man appears to be in the good company of popular opinion. But the media, you know, they have an altogether different view of QAnon. He's he's not he's bad because he dislikes pedophilia. They're like, yes, spam, cool, whatever. Can you can you post my link in his chat? Can you do that? CNN is desperate for clicks. They're like, hey, QAnon, I'm not I'm not with the, you know, pedophilia opposition thing, but I understand that you like to spam right wing chat rooms. Can you get them to click on CNN.com? Because we're going broke over here. <laughs> they don't mind spam, but the pedophilia opposition thing in their minds, you know, this is very, very dangerous stuff, of course. And, uh, you know, you think about that for a minute. You know who thinks pedophiles, uh, I'm sorry, you know who thinks, uh, you know who thinks that those who think pedophiles are dangerous are dangerous, don't you? Well, obviously, it's the pedophiles who think that, don't you think? I probably, that probably could have been worded better, but you get the fucking idea. Oh, my God, this is real politics. I'm very, very sorry. Hey, 1827, I got to cut that out. Very sorry. I'm getting worked up. You see, I don't like these things. I don't like these, uh, you know, it's it's a strong word to call them people, but you get the idea. 
And what I'm getting at here, I mean, this is substantially more than, you know, guilt by association. We are not saying that the media drink water and so did Hitler and therefore the media owe reparations to the Jews, which, you know, as an aside, would make for some peculiar accounting, to say the least of it. What we're saying is that their behavior is very suspicious because everyone from church-going grandmothers to convicted serial killers uniformly dislike pedophilia and for good reason. But this small group of habitual liars seems to find this much more troubling than routinized race riots and arson. And so when a convicted pedophile happens to be wealthy beyond comprehension, and nobody really understands where he got any of that money, and he somehow manages to avoid any serious consequences for his actions after he gets caught, you know, we have a right to be a little bit suspicious about that, I'd say. When the same convicted pedophile finally is picked up by the feds after a lifetime of crime out in the open under the presidency of the man these media liars think is the second coming of Adolf Hitler. And before his bail hearing, he supposedly kills himself in protective custody at the very moment the cameras just stopped happen- happened to stop working and the guards took a nap. Well, you know, we have the right, I'd say, no, the duty to call BS. We talked about the Epstein thing on here not so long ago. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. I'm just setting the stage for something here. But, you know, that, uh, you know, that might not actually be the worst of it. It seems obvious that Epstein was blackmailing people and we still don't know who or for what. We know that he was in some way connected to Israeli intelligence, if nothing else, through Ghislaine Maxwell, whose father was undisputedly a Mossad asset while he ran a major newspaper in the UK. And multiple sources claim that he was killed by Mossad for threatening to expose information. But if you're an American, you might say, well, those are foreign intelligence agencies, and sure, they're corrupt. It's a good thing we live in a good old US of A, and, you know, that would be pretty amusing to me. What if I were to tell you the FBI actually ran a child porn site? What if I were to tell you, as a matter of fact, that the FBI actually ran several porn sites, child porn sites, over the course of a number of years? What if I were to tell you that the FBI actually ran several child porn sites over the course of a number of years? which they used to install malware on the computers of thousands of visitors to those sites in order to track them. And what if I were to tell you that they actually did all of those things and then they just sat on the information instead of pursuing the suspects? (laughs) Would that bother you a little bit? Because it bothered me to find that out. So that's why I figured I'd burden you with this information, dear listener. And this is no hypothetical. I should, you know, just get to, spoiler alert, this actually happened. This is not all like, well, what if I told you? Well, you know, then if that's that. No, we're not making inferences here. This happened. Ars Technica tells the story of a 2013 FBI search warrant kept sealed until 2016. In the warrant, the FBI had seized 23 child pornography websites from an outfit known as Freedom Hosting and was running them from a government facility. The FBI sought the court's permission to use a, quote, network investigative technique, or NIT, as it has uh, been euphemistically called, 
which involved exploiting a flaw in an older version of the Firefox web browser that had come packaged with the Tor browser bundle to install what amounts to a computer virus on the machines of the visitors to those sites. Tor, T-O-R, is an acronym. It stands for the Onion Router. This is an encryption and routing protocol used to guard one's privacy on the internet. Unlike your VPN service, which you can get at um, surrealpolitics.com slash VPN or rightwingsecurity.com will get you lots of information on that. Unlike those services, which are great and you should absolutely get one at surrealpolitics.com slash VPN. But unlike those services, which only keep the visitor's IP a secret, the Internet protocol address. Tor actually allows the websites you visit to remain anonymous as well. And that is an interesting service indeed. This has resulted in the proliferation of illicit drug markets and other clandestine web services on what has come to be known as the dark web or the dark net or the deep web, depending on who you talk to. These are all interchangeable terms for the same phenomenon. The Tor browser bundle is an easily found and installed bit of open source software that you can pick up for yourself. It's very easy to do. Comes with an altered version of Firefox web browser designed to connect exclusively through the Tor network so as to prevent any information from leaking elsewhere. At the time our story takes place, the Tor browser bundle did not automatically update itself. So after a vulnerability in the Firefox web browser was discovered, only those users who had manually updated their software were protected from the exploitation. The Tor browser bundle now does have an automatic update feature, though you may want to check if it is enabled and if you want it enabled, because of course, one of the reasons that a software might not automatically update itself is because you might not want it to do so. Software that calls home is suspicious for security-conscious people, as any Windows user should know. Websites operating on the dark web are what are known as hidden services, and you have likely heard about them in the news. Perhaps the most famous was the Silk Road, the first online drug market, which resulted in a life sentence for a man by the name of Ross Ulbricht, who founded it. Freedom Hosting made it their business to host these services, and while there is nothing illegal about running a hidden service per se, and thus Freedom Hosting's business model did not necessarily have to be a clandestine operation, it is not difficult to figure out that such a service will attract criminals. So Eric... Uh, Marquez, who ran the operation, did what he could to keep his identity a secret. His efforts proved insufficient. A French server hosting 23 child pornography websites, as well as the popular Tor mail service, which was not on its own committing any crime, was seized in 2013 after investigators, by as yet undisclosed means, discovered its true IP address despite protections offered by the Tor network. The United States government used data gleaned from that server to hijack these websites and operate them from a U.S. government facility in the United States. When the visitors arrived, they were met with an error message, and while they were trying to figure out what went wrong, the FBI was hacking their computers, hundreds of thousands of them. Some savvy users noticed that an unfamiliar JavaScript was being deployed across multiple illicit websites and sent out the warning, but it was too late for the users who had already been hit. 
Marquez, a dual citizen of the U.S. and Ireland, was arrested in Ireland in 2013 for conspiracy to advertise child pornography. He was held in Irish custody for eight years while he fought extradition to the United States, but his efforts once again proved insufficient. He was ultimately extradited to the United States and pleaded guilty to those charges, and he was sentenced to 27 years in prison. When the United States government holds charges over your head, it is difficult to say no to those guys, let me tell you. Acquittals in federal trials are very rare because, in part, because they are a farce and the federal government seems to think that it is somehow less bound by its own constitution than the states it is always imposing upon. While sweetheart deals reserved for the likes of Hunter Biden in federal indictments, there is a standard sentencing guideline reduction that comes with taking responsibility by pleading guilty and making things easier on the prosecution and the court can go a long way in reducing the lengthy sentences the feds are notorious for handing down. But there is reason to think that the interests of Mr. Marquez might have been better served by taking his case to trial. This scheme worked out so well for the federal government that they did it again in 2015. Only this time, when users came to the child porn sites under their control, those users got their porn and they got to upload new porn. The best known of these cases was a site known as Playpen which was then the world's largest child porn website with over 200,000 users. For two weeks, the FBI is known to have operated this website and allowed users to upload and download pornographic images of child sexual abuse, some of which was surely ongoing at the time this was happening. The FBI used their control of the website to distribute malware to the users of the site. In no particular hurry to stop the ongoing abuse, the FBI collected data and spied on the visitors to the site. And at their leisure, every once in a while, you know, here and there, issued an indictment or two for the thousands of users whose computers they hacked. Well, they issued, we'll get to that, there was like 135 people out of the thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of computers they hacked. They ended up issuing uh, 135 indictments. What they did with the rest of them, they need not disclose, interestingly enough. This is because disclosure only comes as a result of a part of a criminal procedure law known as discovery. An accused person has the right to know what evidence against them uh, is, is, uh, has been collected in advance of the trial so that they have an opportunity to prepare their defense. That's what discovery is in a criminal trial. But no discovery demands can be made by a man who has not been charged, and he has no idea that he's even under investigation. And if you think that that's a pretty neat trick, well, so does the FBI. And it's not just Playpen that the U.S. government served up this child porn on. According to security researcher Sarah Lewis, she told Ars Technica that it's a pretty reasonable assumption that at one point the FBI may have been running roughly half the known child porn sites hosted on Tor Hidden Services. Lewis runs Onion Scan, an ongoing bot-driven analysis of the Tor Hidden Darknet, 
Her research began in April of 2016, and it shows that as of August of 2016, there were 29 unique child porn-related websites on Tor hidden servers. Quote, doing the math, it's not zero sites. It's probably not all the sites, but we know that they're getting authorization for some of them, she said. I think it's a reasonable assumption. I don't think the FBI would be doing their job if they weren't. And uh, making that observation seems to have upset somebody because Miss Lewis's website is no longer online. The playpen situation hit close to home for me, as it were. The year after, more than a year after the FBI had uh, disclosed what they had done. Uh, my associate, Ian Freeman, whose nationally syndicated broadcast talk radio show I used to co-host, was raided by the FBI more than a year after this happened, allegedly claiming that the malware had identified his IP address as one of the computers that accessed the, uh, accessed the site. Mr. Freeman denies ever having accessed any child pornography website. Whether someone else on his Wi-Fi did or whether the FBI just made the whole thing up, we'll never know because Mr. Freeman will never get to make a discovery demand in that case. The FBI broke into his house and seized everything in his home capable of storing data. And after months of going through those contents, finally returned them to him and never filed any charges against the libertarian activist in relation to that allegation. Now, it is troubling enough to break into a man's home and accuse him of child pornography and seize all of his computers and hold them for months and turn up nothing. If the man is innocent, that is very unfair to him. And for other innocent people in the world, it should raise many alarms. What might, however, be more troubling is why did they wait more than a year to do it if they actually believed that this was happening. If the FBI thought that Ian Freeman was accessing child pornography, surely they have been in the investigative business long enough to know that evidence is often quite ephemeral, especially months after it has been made public that you conducted the malware operation on a site by that name. The answer to our question may lie in the case that Mr. Freeman is about to be sentenced on. The FBI did not find anything to do with child pornography on Ian Freeman's computers, but they did copy all of his data. And not long after that, they began an invest. Well, I shouldn't say they began an investigation. The investigation has been going on for a very long time, as we'll get to, but Mr. Freeman is about to be sentenced on completely unrelated charges, ostensibly. He was recently convicted of tax evasion and money laundering-related offenses pertaining to selling Bitcoin. Oh, they don't like that Bitcoin thing. You might have heard the SEC. They're going after the, all these guys. The government very clearly considers Bitcoin much more offensive than raping babies on camera for money and pleasure. He faces over 800 months in a federal prison when he is sentenced for this next month. 
The FBI has been after Freeman and Friends for years, including your humble correspondent, dating back to at least 2012. Back when we used to spend more time together, a bunch of left-wing fanatics went on Facebook to call me a terrorist, and the Joint Terror Task Force took notice. They tend to do that when you put things like that on Facebook. In an effort to get a recording device into our meeting place, the FBI met up with the local police in Keene, New Hampshire. They told the local police department they wanted to build a case against one of my associates to use that against me. And it didn't seem to matter uh, which one of my associates they built that case against. And to accomplish this, the police went out and they arrested a heroin dealer who none of us had anything to do with man by the name of Richie DuPont. And given the prompt nature of this request being fulfilled, one might ask why the heroin dealer had not been arrested sooner if they knew that he was selling drugs. Curious thing indeed, I'd say. Don't you worry about that, you conspiracy theorists. The FBI got a heroin dealer arrested, and you should just thank them instead of listening to those QAnons, huh? So after they arrest the heroin dealer, well, you know, they promptly set him free because, you know, why not? They gave him the sweetheart deal of all sweetheart deals. All this death peddler had to do to get off unscathed is to go buy some weed. <laughs> that's right. I, that's, not, that's not a typo. I'm not screwing up the script. The heroin dealer got off scot-free. And all he had to do was buy some pot, okay? Now, I'm not downplaying pot. I think pot is actually really bad, believe it or not. I'm just saying. All he had to do was go buy some weed from a guy who happened to be my friend at the time, a fellow by the name of Rich Paul. Mr. Paul considered his marijuana distribution something of a public service, as it were. He made no secret of what he did. He was a pro-marijuana activist and would smoke marijuana in public at the city's central square on a regular schedule at an event much advertised on their local activist website. It became such a big story that non-activist locals who considered the war on drugs a misguided policy would often join in the celebration. And after police had been embarrassed by videos of arrests taken by activists at the event, they simply stopped enforcing the laws during that particular time of day. That is, until the FBI showed up. So this heroin dealer, he wore a wire bought a bunch of marijuana off Rich Paul while recording these transactions. They did this over and over and over again over a period of several weeks, knowing the whole time that Mr. Paul was peddling his wares to others and not showing much concern for this fact at all. They also purchased a then-legal hallucinogenic chemical from him known as 2CI. When the feds were convinced they had enough leverage, they told Mr. Paul that he was going to be charged individually with each of those sales and that he would also be charged with distribution of the legal chemical by saying that it was a chemical purported to be LSD, which it was unambiguously not. 
it was uh, at some point during the business, it, it was at some point during the business referred to as acid. But of course, if you had done a Google search in the year 2012 for legal acid, you would have found 2CI quite handily. It has since been banned by the uh, DEA. For this, Mr. Paul faced 81 years in prison. He was told that he could avoid the whole ordeal, and all he had to do was wear a wire into our meeting place and ask questions about political violence. Mr. Paul said that he would consider their proposal. He was allowed to leave the police station, and he promptly informed us of what had happened. You might imagine that didn't go over well with the Joint Terror Task Force at all. They arrested Mr. Paul, but to keep the details of the scandal from coming to light or in an attempt to do this anyway, Mr. Paul was offered a plea agreement, plead guilty to a single felony and get no time at all. Well, go ahead, take your chances at trial and face 81 years in prison. Well, you could call it smart, you could call it dumb, but you just can't call that guy a coward. Mr. Paul went to trial. And Mr. Paul exposed the informant and made the Joint Terror Task Force come in and testify about all the nasty things that they had done. And then he confessed to the crime (laughs) and told the jury they should acquit him anyway because the war on drugs is bad. And shortly after that, Mr. Paul, it almost might go without saying, was convicted on all counts. And he was, uh, he was ultimately sentenced to one year in a county jail. But the Joint Terror Task Force, they never lost interest in the keen activists, and uh, especially not Yohamba Correspondent. They spied on us for many, many years, looking for some excuse to come after us. They really didn't like us. Four years after raiding Mr. Freeman's home over the alleged child porn access and coming up empty, the JTTF broke my door down in January of 2020. Not for terrorism, of course, but for telling someone I had reportedly, I had repeatedly called local and federal law enforcement on that he shouldn't know uncertain terms, leave me alone. That's a felony now. You could do time in prison for that uh, in the feds. A year later, they arrested Mr. Freeman for selling Bitcoin. I tell you this story about the drug mess not because I have any sympathy for drug dealers. In fact, one of the most offensive portions of this entire story, I'll hope you agree, is the dope dealer being free to continue killing off New Hampshire's 94% white population with opioids just to get the pothead so that he could record the activist who was not at all shy about his views, which were routinely broadcasted on over 100 FCC-regulated commercial radio stations across the country. The point of the story is that the FBI spent nearly a decade cooking up crackpot schemes to try and take down an activist group I happen to be a part of. They were willing to let heroin dealers kill their citizens to accomplish this. Mr. Freeman and I were both ultimately arrested for absolute nonsense in wholly unnecessary big dramatic raids that scared the life out of our neighbors. But when they, uh, when they claimed to have discovered that Mr. Freeman 
was accessing child pornography. They waited over a year to check his computers. I would go ahead and call that extremely suspicious, wouldn't you? I think you should. I mentioned earlier that Mr. Marquez, the proprietor of Freedom Hosting, he might have done well to take his chances at trial. That was the course pursued by one Jay McCord. McCord was one of 135 people, just 135 people out of the tens of thousands of computers hacked by the FBI in the playpen operation. His defense attorneys in preparation for trial demanded information about the network investigation technique used to track his computer. A federal judge appropriately agreed with the defense, and rather than disclose what they had been doing for all of this time, the FBI moved to, I'm sorry, the Justice Department, I should say, moved to dismiss the case against him. Quote, the government must now choose between the disclosure of classified information and dismissal of its indictment. Annette Hayes, a federal prosecutor, wrote in a court filing on Friday, quote, disclosure is not currently an option. Dismissal without prejudice leaves open the possibility that the government could bring new charges should there come a time within the statute of limitations when the government will be in a position to provide the requested discovery. Hmm. You might be interested to know that I checked on this before the show today, and a quick search for McCaud's name shows plenty about uh, the case that was dropped. There's no evidence that I could find that the charges were ever refiled. The statute of limitations has since expired. He is a free man, and he will remain so unless he is caught again. There is no evidence that the FBI is doing anything so brazen as they did to me and Mr. Freeman to bring this conclusion about. You know, save for maybe running some other child porn websites. Who knows? Maybe he gets caught again, but they're not going after him in any case. Interestingly, another man, one David Tippins, was charged in the same sting, in the same court, before the same judge and made the same discovery request as Mr. McCaud. And his request was inexplicably denied. Mr. Tippins went to trial, was convicted, appealed, and his appeal was denied by the Ninth Circuit. Why does one man get to go free on child porn charges? while another man, under identical circumstances, goes to prison. This is not because I'm taking up for Tippins or McCord. I'm just asking you that question as a logical inference. Because lacking a coherent alternative explanation as we happen to be, one might conclude that favors were being exchanged. And this is very important to consider. When you're participating in politics. Which once again brings us closer to home. In June of 2022, 31 members of the secretive right-wing activist group known as Patriot Front piled into a U-Haul with plans to express their once mundane opinions about an LGBTP event in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. 
Police at first claimed that a concerned citizen reported masked men who looked like an army getting into a U-Haul, and this prompted the officers to investigate, which what could reasonably be interpreted by an observer as suspicious activity. Subsequently, it was reported that there had been an informant in the group. In total, 31 men were arrested on B misdemeanor charges of conspiracy to riot. These are local charges. It's important to note. They faced a maximum of six months in jail, and they bonded out the same day. In case you're unfamiliar with the legal terminology at work here, which is likely the case for most of you, because you don't hear much about a B misdemeanor these days, such things are very rarely charged. When you hear that somebody was arrested on misdemeanor charges, it is almost always what is known as an A misdemeanor or a first-degree misdemeanor, meaning the accused faces up to one year in jail, okay? And these are important legal distinctions. If you are serving more than one year, if you face, if, if you are convicted of a charge on which you can face more than one year in jail, that is what is known as a felony. If you are charged with a crime for which you cannot be punished for more than one year, that is what is known as a misdemeanor. If you are charged with a crime for which you cannot be sentenced to more than six months, you fall into something of a special category where you actually are not entitled to a jury trial, okay? Now, you're familiar with this if you've ever had a traffic ticket that because it does not rise to the level of seriousness, they don't impanel a jury every time you blow a stoplight, okay? But it goes all the way up to six months in jail is what they're allowed to do to you without a jury. And so many jurisdictions, I think probably most, in the United States have what is known as a B misdemeanor, that they can charge you with this thing and convict you and sentence you to up to six months and say that you've been convicted of a crime without having to go through the trouble of putting you in front of a jury. And we may conclude that this is what the Patriot Front members were charged with on account of all of the newspaper reports that say that they faced up to six months for daring to disagree in public with the Rainbow Mafia. The FBI, they told reporters that they were also investigating the incident, and those reporters seemed conspicuously disinterested in the details. Conspiracy to riot is a very serious crime when the federal government gets involved, and I happen to know a thing or two about this especially when the alleged conspirators travel over interstate highways from half a dozen states and use interstate communication systems along the way, which the Patriot Front members most certainly must have done to get to where they ended up. Especially when the riot they're accused of conspiring toward happens to target the proprietors of the government's favorite new vice. The FBI, they take charges like this very, very seriously. This is precisely what they came after a group called the Rise Above Movement for. 
And even after a federal judge dismissed the case on First Amendment grounds, told them it was unconstitutional to do this, the Justice Department appealed that district court decision to the Ninth Circuit. And in this case, they were quite happy to overturn the lower court's decision. But by then, a man by the name of Robert Rundo, he had already left the country. But after several years on the run, he was recently arrested in Romania. His case is, uh, to best of my understanding, is currently pending extradition before Romanian court at the time of this recording. And we wish him all the best. We say this not to cast aspersions on Mr. Rundle, or Rundo, I should say, whom we are led to believe is an honorable man by all knowledgeable accounts, but rather to say that the FBI has a peculiar selective interest in conspiracy to riot charges. They do not seem to mind when leftists do this all summer long in unambiguous fashion with the endorsement of the President of the United States, frequently though we may hear that nobody is above the law, save for, you know, illegal immigrants and Hunter Biden. The FBI will pursue Mr. Rondo all the way across the planet for getting in a fight at the beach. Even after being informed that doing so is unconstitutional right here at home. So clearly they take this kind of thing very seriously in some circumstances. Yet, um... In Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, the FBI seems to have found, I think that the, the term is strange new respect. I like that phrase, you know. Strange new respect they've found for the theory of local control, right? When the targets of their federal investigation are charged with a crime, alleging that they've done basically the same thing Mr. Rundo is accused of doing. They're like, oh, well, you know, we wouldn't want to step on your toes, fellas. Coeur d'Alene police, we wouldn't want to get you away. That's your case. We're, uh, you know, we're, we're strict federalists over here. <laughs> they have not, as of a year later, decided to take over this case and bring the much more serious federal charges against this group they otherwise seem so interested in. But the FBI did find some interest in at least one of the group's members. Jared Michael Boyce, we are informed, had his phone searched a month after the Coeur d'Alene incident, and this search turned up... <laughs> Wait for it, ladies and gentlemen. You know what's coming, don't you? Where's the uh, where's that thing? Hang on a second. Child pornography. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, they searched his phone a month after this incident in Coeur d'Alene. Mr. Jared Michael Boyce, they searched his phone and they found child pornography on him. And it might go without saying that, of course, you know, leftist activist groups posing as news organizations, they found this very, very interesting. 
their ostensible political opponent had been charged with a crime that their political opponents tend to disagree with far more than they do. So all of a sudden, they started to care about child pornography because it was, for the time being, politically advantageous to do so. No QAnon crackpots to be found in their newsroom, no. Mr. Boyce, for his part, did not seem anxious to see these details come to light through any discovery process, nor did those who brought the charges seem anxious to disclose any of the details. Though Mr. Boyce, uh, we are told, confessed to the crime, as well as several others, apparently, and uh, and uh, indicating that you know he found some reason to talk to uh, law enforcement. Facing 22 charges... Mr. Boyce pleaded guilty to nine felony counts of sexual exploitation of a minor and a misdemeanor count of dealing in material harmful to a minor in April of 2023. He could have faced up to 30 years in federal prison just on the counts he pleaded guilty to. But in May of 2023, he was sentenced to just one year. <laughs> Uh, his case in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, is still pending. But something tells me he's not losing any sleep over the prospect of a federal rioting indictment, much less the local B misdemeanor. From here, one can only speculate, because, of course, the people who claim it is their profession to find and tell the truth are obviously not working very hard on this particular angle. So all I can do is speculate. But if I had to guess, and I suppose I do, the FBI hasn't opted to bring their own rioting charges against the Patriot Front crew because they don't want to disclose their associations with the pedophile who they just gave the sweetheart deal to. And the case will never see a jury because it's only a B misdemeanor. And in their unceasing efforts to prove how anti-racist they are. Squish conservative types have used this story as proof that Patriot French is a bunch of feds, of course, you know. <laughs> Which is an interesting theory if you think about it, you know. I can't think of a situation where the feds would go through so much trouble to infiltrate their own operation. You know what I mean? Like, like, hey, guys, let's set up this group. Okay, all right, let's go set up this group and we're going to punk everybody out. We'll go send all our guys to do the thing. And they're like, all right, now let's get a bunch of informants in there. Well, you're going to get us all busted. What are you talking about? You know, like. <laughs> oh, you know, much less would they need to, like, let child sex predators off the hook to accomplish the goal. But, you know, I, I'm not that I'm saying they mind doing that sort of thing. They don't seem to have that big of a problem with it, actually. You know, I recently, uh, I, I played a clip from a guy I once respected, a fellow by the name of Michael Knowles, who works over at the Daily Wire, who works for a guy that, you know, I don't really respect all that much, actually. And in it, you know, he he, he said, oh, we, the, the title of the video is like, oh, you know, Patriot Front gets exposed as feds. <laughs> and I thought this, at first I thought this was pretty amusing. I like mocked it for a little while on the, on the member show. You guys who don't pay me, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. You guys, you know, you're missing out, I guess, you know, because you don't, you don't go to surrealpolitics.com slash join 
and fork over ten bucks, and you don't you don't get the get all the good stuff over there. But anyway, so you know, we talked about this over there is is kind of the driving point. Pay me is what I'm saying. Um, I I mocked it, but you know, I, was, I later found myself in horror because I discovered like this was actually a pretty brutal crime. But in the video that I'm talking about, in the video that Michael Knowles aired, the selective clip that he chose, deceptively losing all of my respect, um, he said, uh, he said, uh, oh, well, you know, this situation where the Proud Boys go and viciously assault these federal agents is proof that they're federal agents, as evidenced by the guys who assaulted them, you know, not going to prison, because that's that's how reason works over at the Daily Wire. But he also said something. Which was, you know, it's just an obvious truism, you know. Just a reminder, don't believe everything you read in the liberal newspapers. And he, like, gave this little chuckle, like, as if they had been, like, oh, I just said something so clever. Indeed, do not believe everything that you read in the liberal newspapers. I mean, you know, <laughs> who that, who that even listens to Michael Knowles believes that much as anybody who's listening to me. Has Patriot Front been infiltrated by informants? Well, one should hope so, you know. Like, can you imagine what a loser you would feel like if you ran a right-wing group in 2023 and the feds didn't send informants to join? Can you imagine what it would be like to be Thomas Ryan Rousseau and, like, the feds just didn't even care about what you were doing in 2023? (laughs) He wouldn't tolerate that, neither would I, you know. I mean, if they'll let dope dealers kill people to snatch potheads and libertarians for talking smack and selling Bitcoin, you better believe that they're going to let a fellow sex predator go to find out what actual opposition groups are up to, don't you think? And so, like, it's funny. I get this, you know, one of these things that just made me laugh about this. As I'm looking into this story, here's the headline. Here's the headline by Jim Hoft, who's an idiot all the time. I, you know, it's not surprising that Jim Hoft said something ridiculous, but nor are the 2,136 ridiculous comments surprising. It's the, it's the gateway pundit. I'm just saying. Here's the headline. <laughs> As we have always suspected, law enforcement admits they have informants inside Patriot Front Group arrested 31 in a U-Haul on way to protest. Oh, well, congratulations, Jim Hoft. You have always suspected that the feds are infiltrating right-wing groups. And, uh, you know, your right-wing group totally, you know, never going to have that problem because why? Like, do you guys vet people? Are you interviewing? Are you going and checking people's backgrounds? What are you doing at the Gateway Pundit? to make sure that you don't have a bunch of pedophiles who are working for the FBI coming in and publishing nonsense headlines on the Gateway Pundit. As a matter of fact, Jim Hoff, how do I know that you're not, right? How do I know that you weren't going downloading child porn from Playpen? And in order to not go to prison for child downloading child porn from Playpen and getting stabbed on a biweekly basis by dudes who don't like pedophiles, how do I know that you were not sent to go publish nonsense in headline form on a Gateway Pundit? As a matter of fact, I don't know that, as a matter of fact. What we do know about the Patriot Front group is that the leader of the group, Thomas Ryan Rousseau, you can go read the 
transcript of his depositions from the Sines v. Kessler lawsuit in uh, in the uh, Western District of Virginia. It happened in uh, the end of 2021. He's a real person. He was sued by a bunch of, you know, a cabal of like deep state Democrats along with me and a bunch of other people. And so like, yeah, like are a bunch of like nefarious actors going to try to get into his group? Yeah. And he knows that, which is why there's like a vetting process. Of course, you know, Tom's Ryan Rousseau is actually not like an employee of the federal government, sadly, because, you know, if he was, then he could vet these people a lot better. You know, if he was going to vet these people in the way they would for, I don't know, say a White House security clearance, then they'd be like, hey, wait a second. You know, this guy's been running around downloading child pornography and that makes him easy to blackmail. And so he can't be a member of the group. That's what would happen if he had, you know, the access of the federal government and sadly just doesn't have it. I mean, maybe you should ask, I don't know. <clears throat> and so I guess the moral of the story here, to the extent there is one, I mean, you just, you should just know the, about these things. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. if you'd like to talk about it, by the way. All I'm trying to say is this. The FBI will let heroin dealers kill people in order to snatch up libertarians off, uh, off for selling Bitcoin and stuff, okay? They will go and conduct brazen raids with rifles and tanks to grab people for talking smack to reporters, okay? They will go and hack thousands of computers and find out that there are pedophiles all over the internet and track them and simply decline to go after them until it suits their purposes for some other reason to do so. And then when they do that, they'll come up with some other reason to come after those people because they don't want to disclose their nefarious dealings with the pedophiles. You're dealing with people. <laughs> you know, if you don't like the term demonic, just call them whatever you, whatever your approximation of evil is. But if that's what you're, you know, if you're like, hey, listen, I know that you're raping the kids or whatever, and we, you know, we have to, you know, keep up appearances as, as if that's a problem. But, you know, whatever just these Republicans are a problem and you've got to help us with the Republican problem. And the pedophile is like, I'm, I lie all the time. I can do that for you. <laughs> I'm, I live, a, I rape children for fun. Of course I can lie for you. Who do you want me to lie to? You know? <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, you know, you know, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to have some vetting of your group. Okay, good. You know, like ask a guy a question before he joins your group. Great. You know? And if he tells you, and if he tells you, oh, you know what? I really, I want to join your group and shoot up synagogues. You'd be like, okay, well, you know, we'll get right back to you about that. And then throw your phone away and never talk to that guy again. Great. You know, screen your group, you know. But I got news for you, right? The guy who's raping children is going to like know how to lie to you. You know, he's going to know how to lie. That's what they do. As a matter of fact, <laughs> the, 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 the feds who, 
cooperate with the pedophiles and set them free, they're really good at lying. Okay. And they're and they have like, they can make documents. They can do whatever they want. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess it, it, the, the breaking headline here, as we see, I mean, you know, gate like gateway pundit has it right there in black and white, the Patriot front, you know, they were infiltrated by informants as evidenced by the fact that they got arrested on their way to a protest. And so if you want to commit a crime, you better not join the Patriot Front. Better not do that, okay? And if you do want to commit a crime and you do want to join the Patriot Front, just make sure that you inform the guy who vets you so that he can tell you to go F yourself and never speak to you again. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Now, let me go ahead and read some Super Chats. As I happen to know, we've got at least one. Um, Dave, before we even got started today, I'm waiting. This thing's going to load up eventually. I'm reasonably confident. And so, come on, what are you doing to me? Eventually, uh, this is probably going to work. Uh, let's see here. Maybe if I just scroll up in the chat, since this thing's being stupid, Dave says the show hasn't even started, but we all know it's going to be amazing. Show your appreciation and pay the man. He could have walked away a long time ago and made a good living for himself. A genius and a savage. He smashed reds when he could have made a little speech in the background. Pay the man. Well, you know, Dave, what am I going to say to that except I'll read it again. This show hasn't even started yet, but we all know it's going to be amazing. Show your appreciation and pay the man. He could have walked away a long time ago and made a good living for himself. A genius and a savage. He smashed reds when he could have made a little speech in a background. Pay the man. Now that that was worth reading twice. Thank you very much, Dave. Forty bucks. Greatest living American says uh, afternoon shift with a tip of twenty five dollars. And wow, strong endorsements, fellas. I am. Uh, I would say that I am humbled, but you know what? I'm just going to do it. I, like I'm just going to embrace it. I'm going to go full ego maniac and be like, you guys are absolutely right. You know. And so thank you so much. And, I, and I'm not saying that necessarily because because I actually uh, I think that that's, you know, 100 percent true 100 percent of the time. But I think I did a good job just now, I would say. I think that that was pretty a pretty good read. Now, let's go over and see the GTV guys. <clears throat> Hans Bryce says everyone spits in their food. And uh, I destroyer Iker. Modern reset six times. I don't know. So anyway, not a whole lot going on on GTV. The GTV, guys, I don't usually stream Surreal Politiques to, um, hey, wait a second. Is Am I finding out that Rumble is not working? Oh, my God. What did you do to me, Rumble? <laughs> oh, God, Rumble. Oh, Rumble, you. I didn't even know that Rumble wasn't working, so that's great. That's fantastic. That's fun. That's wonderful. Thank you, Rumble. Well, you know, I just maybe I just start sending people over to. Uh, I'll just keep on sending people over to. Uh, I'm very sorry to the Rumble audience. I don't know what's going on here. 
I should just send people over to uh, to the Odyssey thing because that's where you guys pay me anyway. And uh, and Odyssey makes it easy. Rumble makes it a pain in the butt, as a matter of fact. Rumble's a pain in the you know what. And so I uh, we'll see about that. We'll see about uh, we'll see about telling the Rumble guys to go all to heck. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. If you'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Let me find. Uh, I'm going to pull up a, a quick uh, a quick clip, and I'm going to go uh, just uh, turn my face away from this camera for a moment, and we will be right back. Let's see here. What do we got? We're going to do the. Uh, we'll do this thing. You're going to do this thing over here. That's too short. Tucker bits. Pardon me. Let's give them a helicopter ride. Oh, no, okay? no, no. That's not what we're trying to do. That's that's a helicopter ride from Donald Trump. We're not trying to give anybody a helicopter ride. What are you talking about? Come on. You're going to get us all busted. Trump, shut up. Um, Let's see here. No, that's not the right folder. We're going over here and pulling this thing up. Thank you very much. Bits. Um, the thing that we want to pull up is, well, let's do this one. Well, last March, one of the great living sociologists in America, Charles Murray, went to Middlebury College in Vermont to deliver a lecture on America's growing class divide and the decline of the American working class. It's an important topic. He's covered it in a couple of books. And of course, the phenomenon has turned out to explain a lot about the rise of Donald Trump and many other political tremors shaping this country over the last decade. Murray's an important figure, that's not an overstatement. But instead of listening to any of this, the students rioted, attempted to block Murray's car, even hospitalized a professor who was escorting him out. Charles Murray has not appeared on television since that incident. He is here now. The man at the center of it all, Charles Murray, joins us tonight. Um, Charles Murray, thanks a lot for coming on. My pleasure. So I guess what I was struck by was you've written a couple of books that one book in particular that was controversial 20 years ago, 20 years ago. And when you wrote it, people, the left freaked out, but they read the book and they responded to what was in it. They didn't some, like some it. of them. Did. Some of them did. Yeah, yeah. At least they pretended to. When you went to Middlebury, I didn't get the sense that anybody in the crowd had read anything you'd ever written. No, and some of them bragged about it. And by some of them, I mean faculty members. The, the faculty member who was leading the charge against me appearing there said, no, he'd never read a word I, uh, I'd written, but he still knew I was a bad guy. How did it unfold? We're, we've played this video a number of times. This, this incident kind of sums up a lot that's wrong with the country right now, I think. But you were there. What was that like? Well, I expected, uh, because I'd been briefed by the people at Middlebury, that the protests would occur. What what we didn't know was whether they were going to keep it up forever. Yes. And my initial thought was, hell, I'll stand up here all night if I have to, to wait them out. Bill Berger, who was the uh, Middlebury's coordinator for all of this, rightly stopped it at about 20 minutes so that we went downstairs and, and presented the presentation on video uh, because they weren't going to stop. <laughs> they, they were going to go on all night. And what but, were they saying? What was their claim? Well, they had lots of different chants, uh, and, and none of them were very memorable. Uh, they involved white supremacists and eugenicists and white nationalists and that kind of stuff. Uh, it was, I, I heard one of them call you anti-gay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, first place, should I go on record and say, I'm not a white supremacist, I'm not a... I'm okay. aware. Okay, okay. It, it, it's, it's unreal. 
it's, it's been unreal actually for the last six months where it's not that people are twisting things you have said they are making assertions about what you've said that bear no relationship to anything that you have said. Well, and in, and in fact, distorting what you're saying, almost inverting it. I mean, you made, I thought, a really powerful case against the American elites, the ruling class people who run the country. I, I, I'm standing up there at Middlebury with this very elite student body, and I'm thinking to myself, you want to give a lecture dumping on the elite, and they're upset about that. This was not going to be a lecture uh, demonizing welfare mothers or things like that. I was going to say, you as members of the, the new elite have to be aware of all the, the ways in which the elite is screwing the working class in this country. How interesting. So 50 years ago, that, that would have been a message delivered most likely by someone on the yeah. left. Yeah. Now, you're a fairly famous libertarian-ish person trying to deliver this, and you get shouted down. What does that tell you about the current well, state well, the of first, the left? Well, a couple of points, Tucker. One of them is they didn't know what I was going to say. Yes. So it wasn't they were testing that message. Second thing is, remember, this was 100 to 200 kids out of 2,500. And so I think with all of these protests on campus, there is a large, I suspect, silent majority. What scares me is that they are cowed. Yes, and and when I talk to students, and I think it's especially a problem at in the humanities and the social sciences in elite universities, they tailor what they write in their term papers and what they say in class to what is in reality a lot of penalties the professors are prepared to impose on them if they say the wrong thing. What's so striking though is that this isn't happening in trade schools and it's not happening in lower tier schools. It's happening in schools that are the most expensive and the hardest to get into where the children of America's elite go. What does yeah. that tell you? Well, first place you've got the, you know, the science and technology majors right. versus the totally. social science slash humanities. And that's way different. And for that matter, Tucker, my daughter went to Middlebury, graduated in 2007. She got a great education. She just had to pick her classes very carefully, and, and it worked. Uh, so there's a danger in this. What happened in Middlebury is not necessarily a, a you know, nationwide problem, but it is toxic in the sense that the whole notion of a university is that it is a safe space, if I may use that phrase, for intellectual discourse. That is the thing it's supposed to do. Yes. And, and you know, in thinking about Middlebury, a lot of the attention came to the mob that was outside where Professor Stanger got seriously hurt, and, and that was very scary. But that wasn't the most important event. The most important event was what went on in that lecture hall. The thing that went on outside, that was a thuggery. You know, yeah. a, felon, a criminal felony and somebody should ju do jail time for it. But what went on inside that lecture hall was a repudiation of what the university is all about. It's terrifying. And, and the overarching irony is that your book, Coming Apart, provides the single clearest blueprint explaining why Trump got elected. It wasn't because of Vladimir Putin, it was because of the forces you describe in that book. And I wish their minds were open to hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> because they'd be a lot better. Well, if they want to invite me back, I'd be glad to they go. Too. Charles Murray, thank you for that. Great to see you. My pleasure. Okay, um, uh, we're coming right back in uh, just a second here. Let me uh, turn, this, uh, turn this here camera on. I was trying to bring our Rumble friends back in because uh, I really feel bad about this. We, When I sent out the email for the show today, 
which you would get, by the way, if you were on my email list at um, ChristopherCantwell.net slash subscribe or SurrealPolitics.com slash newsletter, which you should do all of those things, obviously. If you get my emails, then you can take them out of your spam folder, and that would inform, uh, that would allow you to inform the, uh, the criminals who run the spam filters that I am not a spammer. And that would be a great thing for you to do. That would be great. That would help your country. That would help me. That would do wonderful things for lots and lots of people. Dude, that would and be so great. That would help your- me. Don't talk. I'm not listening to you. I'm talking. Come on. So anyway, so I just fixed the rumble stream. I'm very sorry to uh, to anybody who's, you know, came and you're like, where is it? Well, you know, it'll be there later. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program and the more you told the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Uh, we got uh, we got Dave. Uh, Dave, you are on the Radical Agenda. What's your agenda? Uh, yeah, I'd like to talk about uh, our demonic opponents, Chris. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very good, Dave. Thank you very much for your, the high praise in the chat. I, I appreciate it, my friend. Uh, the demonic opponents you want to speak about, I'm all for that. Let's do it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if there was a group of uh, demonic individuals, there'd probably be the people that make up about 70% of Biden's cabinet. But, um, you know, if you catch my drift. but Yeah, you know, I'm sick of, you know, I, you know, I don't think the whole population of the United States is demonic. I mean, I think it might be maybe 2%. You know, it, it's not it's not a huge number of people, and we should really be able to solve these kinds of problems. Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, uh, whenever you see these pride parades or the, the, the trans people out there, I mean, take a look at their eyes. Look at their faces. I mean, it, they literally they, they look like they're possessed by demons, you know, so uh, I have no problem calling them such. And um, they act they act in, like with demonic behavior. They're, they're literally talking about. Uh, cutting our kids' genitals off, and you know, we're going to take your kids, we're going to fuck your kids, and hmm. you're going to love it. And Surreal politics, what's know, the F's? We've got, uh, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, Chris. I'm it's okay, so don't worry about it, buddy. You know, I did it too. What, you but, know, I get you worked know, up. Whenever I find out that there's a bunch <laughs> of people, you know, who who like, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, raping children, that's, you know. That's just hobby stuff. If I can actually get paid for it, great. I mean, you know, it's understandable that we get worked up. I understand. Yeah, no, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty easy to be enraged uh, by everything that's going on. And, you know, I see these people and, you know, they, they resemble demons, you know. They, they're wild-eyed maniacs and they're literally talking about raping kids in public walking around exposing themselves to children in public and you know uh eventually you know these people need to be forced back into the closet or somewhere far more dramatic if they fail to cooperate yeah i think i think we could force them into the well perhaps you know um <laughs> it, it, it you it, it obviously can't be allowed to continue and it and it seems to me that they don't understand that right <laughs> like they like you know I've known a lot of I, I've, I mean, I shouldn't say I've known a lot of criminals, but I've I've come into contact with criminals over the course of my life. And, you know, criminals sometimes, you know, criminals, not all of them are very smart. You might know, but they they typically sure. have this sense that, like, 
if I keep on committing the same crime over and over and over again, I'll get caught. So that's, you know, I should probably, you know, mix up my crime a little bit, right? Uh, these guys don't seem to get that, right? Like they just, they're like, oh, I got an idea. Let's tell the same lie day in and day out and just keep on doing that and just keep on, you know, we'll, we'll just keep on lobbing the same stupid accusations at these people and expecting them to pretend that it's not happening as if that can go on forever. And uh, obviously it can't. It, it has to come to some kind of climax, at which point, you know, it's all downhill from there, right? Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, you bring up a good point, you know, like you and I kind of have that that in, in uh, common. You know, we kind of grew up around some criminal elements and were involved with some criminal stuff. You dabbled in it or whatever. And, you know, in my experience, you know, there were two types of criminals. There were the dumb ones that kept getting arrested for the same thing over and over and over again. And then there were the guys with intellect who, you know, evolved and decided, listen, this is, this is not sustainable. I've got to figure out a way to do things legitimately and use the knowledge I have to do so in a legal way and make money. And those guys are, uh, the most successful people I know at this point, the guys that are still standing, the rest of them, you know, they're still in and out of prison for the same thing. You know, so when, um, you know, when you got out and, uh, you know, when you were banned from the internet um, and you switched up course, that shows me that you're an intelligent person <laughs> and, and you, you, you're adjusting your game plan. And over time, that has come to fruition. And I think you're really hitting your stride, Chris. And um, as you know, man, I, I consider you a friend and I've got a lot of respect for you. And that's why I throw shekels towards you, man, because I think you're one of the most powerful voices we have. And if you weren't around, um, that, that's just unacceptable for me. So, um, Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very honored. I'm, I'm honored by... Uh... I'm honored by your praise and uh, and humbled by your shekels, and I uh, and and I'll tell you, I think uh, I do feel as though myself that I've I'm hitting my stride. I'm feeling a lot more confident than I was in earlier you know episodes, and I'm feeling very good about that. And I'll tell you, it is reflected um, uh, in in the. Uh, uh, which uh, it is reflected to some extent in the revenue streams, let's say. And, and I think that if I am able to, and, and the only reason that that is the case is because folks like you were able to sustain the production while I, I gained my footing. Right. And, uh, this, the, the name of this game here is, uh, is to outlast, uh, other people. Right. Uh, if you can keep on producing quality content over a period of time, then uh, over time, you know, you get a, a couple of people here, a couple of people there. Every once in a while, something hits, you get a, a hundred more people, right? And um, and then that uh, that burden of financing the thing gets spread out very far, and it and it becomes a much smaller task to do. And I'll tell you, you know, if I can get up to a point where a thousand people are paying me ten bucks a month, then then that means that. I can, you know, give somebody 50 grand, you know, a, a really talented person to, you know, do 
really important things with me uh, on top of, you know, advertising budget, everything like that. I love to start buying, you know, uh, Twitter and Gab ads. You know, I've already paid, I've already bought some Twitter ads. I think I'm going to start. I'm going to do a run on the Gab um, and, uh, I think the gab ads will be good because they're, your advertising models a little, it's a little questionable, but you know, the people who are going to be seeing the ads are people who are, you know, prime demographic to become listeners. Right. And so, uh, and that, that builds up, you know, it's, it's, you know, the political impact of that I'd say is questionable, but it builds the support base from which you can go out and start making the political impact by, you know, reaching other people with, on other platforms and stuff. And so. We're going to be doing great things, Dave, and and uh, and your money's being put to good use, my friend. And I'm and I'm very uh, I'm very appreciative of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it is. And if if there's one thing I have faith in, it's your ability to make money. And you talk about this a lot. You talk about different um, avenues of creating uh, creating wealth, and that's something the dissident right needs to concentrate on more. You know, it's not all about you know, um, screaming about certain people in, in echo chambers, we need wealth, right? Because wealth grants power and ultimately we want power and we cannot achieve that without building wealth. Spending so, all of your time, compl- that's what I'm trying yeah, to do. spending all of your time complaining about other people is a luxury that powerful people have. Right. And so like, I would really like for us to be powerful people. Now, I should, you know, I, I, I as much as I appreciate your praise, I, I should take myself down a peg and say, you know, I'm talking about bringing in revenue. I don't know nothing about wealth. I haven't, if, if I knew anything about wealth, you know, we'd be having a very different conversation. But, you know, I have put out a piece at um, <clears throat> ChristopherCantwell.net, and it is titled Sustained Action on the Path to Sovereignty, which should not be confused with um, Surreal Politique Stage 1, Episode 16, which was titled Sustained Action, which was a mere teaser of that bit. The um, the article, the published text, um, Sustained Action on the Path to Sovereignty, is in excess of 20,000 words, and it goes into some some pretty specific detail. And I, I'm already preparing something of a follow-up piece to that, um, which I hope to be a little bit less daunting for people. I, I understand that you go put 20,000 words and people are like, well, you know, congratulations on that. Let me know how it works out. And I, I, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to try to, but that is now compiled as the, like, you know, when people say, uh, that we have no hope for political participation, when people say that, um, our, our options are, are so few and far between that, um, crazy ideas start to look uh, sensible. Um, that is the cohesive description of why they're wrong. Okay, and with that there, then I can always say, like, look, you know, I'm going to try to, you know, get my argument across to you in this briefer period of time that we have to discuss. But I will invite you to go to go do that. And I actually did. I did precisely that yesterday. As a matter of fact, I, I, um, I uh, on my uncensored production. Uh, I talked to a guy who basically said there's no political options and, you know, I was had a trouble interviewing him because that led to, you know, all types of areas that we didn't want to discuss on the radio, if you follow. And so, like, you know, I'm like, after I got off the air, I'm like, hey, you know, maybe you give this, uh, maybe you go give this thing a read. You know, it's a, you're going to have to take some time to read 20,000 words, but it's worth considering. And I think that 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 is a. Uh, that's an important step. And, you know, the idea behind that, in case, you know, people are just tuning in, you know, the idea is basically, look, you know, if you don't have political opportunities in the in your 
geographic territory right now. That's not the most uncommon of positions to be in. But, you know, if you can find an, a territorially independent stream of revenue, then then you can move with political intent. And if you do that in a large enough group, then you can absolutely there's there, it's an indisputably true thing that if enough people you know, have the same view within a jurisdiction that they can make political changes. I mean, that's the that's the whole entire point of our system of government. And so, um, you know, there's there's problems with that system of government, to be sure. But, you know, it, it is um, it, it is at least designed for that purpose that when most people want a thing, they can, you know, walk into voting booths and demand it. And so, uh, you know, getting people to the point where they can be in that sort of territorial concentration to have that impact, you know, it is is the hope that we need in, in order to prevent these, you know, really awful setbacks of people doing stupid, crazy, dangerous things and, you know, throwing their lives away and making us all look like lunatics and criminals, you know. Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, um when when I was doxxed, you know, I had a, another guy in the movement, you know who I'm talking about, and uh, you know, I, I lost a lucrative career, and he put me to work, and he showed me his business model, which was, um, you know, it, it was his own business, and he created it in such a way that it really it, it, a, a dox couldn't really hurt him anymore um you know talking about jason but uh you know he treated me he treated me very well and he gave me the motivate number one he allowed me to provide for my family after i lost my career and he also gave me a blueprint and i've taken that blueprint and i've run with it i've got my own company now and you know i want to help other uh, other white nationalists you know, and I, I think that's the way forward. We got to, we have to be independent. We have to have our own businesses and we have to help our own. So w- whatever that takes, that needs to be the goal because we, we need money to compete. It's, if we're poor. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, that there's an understandable, you know, whenever you're in politics and, you know, you have to be you have to you have to have an appropriate skepticism of people's motivations, because, of course, you know, there are going to be, you know, scoundrels who will try to rip you off. And so I appreciate that, you know, people approach things with a certain degree of skepticism. But the first thing that you should be skeptical of in any political actor is somebody who's like not concerned about money, because, you know, that means that they're be- that, that they're being taken care of on the back end somewhere and you have no idea what's going on, you know, exactly. and so like. You know, and and so, you know, people who are like, yeah, I want to pursue money and, you know, this is how I want to do it. These are the people who are, you know, who who are who are being upfront with you about what's going on. And that's and it's an important thing because obviously um, nothing worth doing gets gets done without money. And, you know, I I don't want to get accused of libertarianism. And, you know, somebody tell me that, you know, like I'm saying, all things done in pursuit of money are virtuous, far from it. But, you know. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that you can't, you can't do anything, uh, worth doing, especially when your opponents are like rich monsters, when they're like, you know, money printing and, 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 and doing all sorts of nefarious things and abusing the legal system. I mean, I don't think that you can outspend these people by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, you're not, you're not going to be able to do it broke. And I think that, you know, the, the people who, 
who run around trying to, uh, you know, reduce all things financial to some kind of um, some ethnic chicanery. Uh, you know, th- those those people are trying to separate us from power fundamentally, whether they realize it or not. Either either they're trying to do it or they're falling for a trick from somebody who is. And, uh, you know, they they need to be dissuaded of that view. And I think that I think that in I think the all the the um, I think that what was once known as the all right, whatever it is now, the nationalist movement, say, you know, I think that I think that that aversion is is uh, is largely been dealt with. You know, there's, you know, subversive show up and they say things and the, those people are not they, they typically are not, you know, you're not going to see them at a meeting, let's say. And so. Uh, sure. You know, things are things are, I would say, um, uh, moving. I don't know if uh, I don't know if we're we're where I want to be or even moving as quickly as I would like. But they are they are improving, I'd say. Yeah, sure. And, um, you know, whether they're doing it intentionally or not, you know, maybe they're just misguided or they're jaded. But, uh, you know, we need money. And frankly, you know, we've got a lot of smart guys out there and all we really have to do is put our heads together and uh, figure out the easiest way for us to make revenue. And that way we can put money behind the people that need the money, which, you know, one, one of which is you. So, you know, without money, we've got nothing. So like anybody that's, this, oh, capitalism is evil, whatever, that's fine. But uh, nonetheless, there, there are opportunities within capitalism to, to get to our goals. I, I, think, uh, I think that, yes, when uh, properly understood anyway, right? I mean, you know, I had this conversation with somebody the other day who I think I'm going to end up speaking to real soon, matter of fact. And, you know, I, I basically like, you know what? What capitalism tends to call to mind in people is almost like, uh, in, in some sense, it's like the the ring of power and the Lord of the Rings. It like brings out whatever is in your head. You know, it's 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 bringing out something that's in your own mind. It has ver- uh, uh, very little to do with um, any objective thing. It's a it's a term used to confuse, as I said earlier about uh, you know conspiracy theorist and racism you know they, they throw these things around to to confuse people and what often follows are you know i i used in the uh, the the sustained action on the path to sovereignty article i'm like well you know i'm not going to call it marxist but let's call it marx-esque you know that like sure. th- these are these are critiques that are fundamentally you know derived from you know marxist complaints about economics as such and that those things are not, um, I, I, in my view, they are unbecoming of right wingers. If you find that some, you know, some corporation uh, goes in and decides that they're going to, you know, I don't know, do some terrible thing to the environment, or that some um, some company is going in and uh, uh, lending money to people who can't pay it in order to take advantage of them with high interest rates and coerce them into unfavorable deals in other ways, then like, okay, like critique that behavior and say, why don't we go and, you know, take over, let's go participate in politics and say that behavior is really undesirable. Let's ban it, right? Like that makes perfect sense to me. Let's go, the guy who does that, let's throw him in prison and then we can get on with, you know, our our regular market activity. Uh, that seems to me a reasonable enough thing to do. Uh, this idea that, you know, you have to, um, you know, 
crash the capitalist system or something like that. It, it seems to me that that is not that is not usually informed by informed and coherent explanations of what will happen next. And that is troubling indeed, I'd say. Yeah, I, I think I think anybody, um, uh, you know, and, you know, no offense to these guys that come to their conclusions, but anybody that's, uh, you know, made the decision to completely check out of politics, I mean, you're you're seeding you're seeding victory to the enemy. Right. Yeah. And you, you can say Republicans are cut or whatever, but um, the window has shifted and it's shifted dramatically. So there's no reason to think it won't continue to do so. And, you know, in, in, in my experience in my business and especially the area I'm in, which is very, very diverse, um, you know, when we show up to clients' houses with a group of like well-groomed white guys, they're they're happy they're incredibly happy to see us they're like oh my gosh you know these aren't guys that are going to be uh, drinking coronas uh you know at lunch and googling my you know my 12 year old daughter you know so there's there's some trust there and there's something to be said for um you know white businesses competent white businesses and you know i think that's what we need to do we need to start businesses hire our own and listen, I've had bad experiences. You know, I've <laughs> I put some white guys on job sites. I had one overdose and it, it was awful, but you know, um, I'm willing to take the chance, you know, to hire capable white men who can get the job done. And, you know, when we're done, our, our customers are just so happy. They're like, wow, so professional no need for translation or broken English or drunken antics on the job site. You guys got the job done and it's high quality work. And then we end up, uh, you know, we end up getting the whole neighborhood, you know what I mean? So uh, people, people are thirsty for uh, hardworking white men that can do quality work. And I think uh, I think people really underestimate that. I, I had some experience with this, you know. Um, I I uh, I used to work on a landscaping truck in Long Island, you know, and uh, mm. uh, the the demographics of the people in that industry, you might say, are not uh, are not mine. Uh, and so, as a matter of sure. fact, like our we probably charged more for for the services that we provided, um, but people didn't yeah. mind; they felt better about it, and so. Um, I know, I know of the phenomenon of which you speak. They can't publish it on Craigslist. You know, you can't go out there and say, "Hey, I got this preference." But you know, you just express it through, uh, through <clears throat> you just express a market preference. Excuse me, <clears throat> and um, and sure enough, um, those those preferences do certainly get expressed. Now, um, I am not trying to uh, expose information that you don't want to expose. But I'll give you the opportunity if you care to plug this. If you have contact information that you would like out over the air, you're you're very welcome to uh, to say it. Yeah, so it's uh, Dave R thirty three on Telegram. Um, anybody in uh, let's say Virginia DC Maryland uh, looking for work, um, skilled carpenters are needed, uh, sales guys are needed. Uh, a lot of positions to fill and, you know, um, I had a little bit of trouble on the outset, but luckily I've, you know, I've known some guys for some years, one of which you met who really helped me 
put this thing together and um we're booming man and i you know i wish i i wish you know other guys in this thing could have that and whatever i can do to provide somebody with um a more than livable wage if you're our guy man i'm, I'm more than happy to have you well, especially, I got to tell you, you know, I know that uh, people who listen to Surreal Politics, they know a thing or two about persuasion. And so, you know, if you uh, if you figured out the whole sales thing, you just got to get in touch with uh, Dave R. 33 on Telegram and uh, and you guys can uh, you guys can make beautiful music together. Dave, I'm going to uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you if you have any closing words before I move on to the next caller. No, man, I'm all done, Chris. Thanks for taking my call, man. Thank you very much for making Keep a call and for all, your, uh, for all of your support in terms of uh, your, your high praise and your, uh, and your high uh, uh, um, uh, dollar amount, super chaps and whatnot, and you're a great guy. And, and, and all of the things that you've done prior to that, by the way, because Dave has done, Dave's an amazing guy that I'm not going to rat him out, but, you know, he's done some great stuff. Caller, you are on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you, friend? Hey, Chris, um, I wanted to call about the, the topic of the monologue, which was the FBI running, you know, child pedophile websites. Yeah. Uh, but just real quick, I, I don't want to get too deep into the, the last caller. I thought it was great. I, but I just want to address a couple things like towards the end of the call. I don't think that it's fair to say critiquing any aspects of modern American capitalism automatically equals, you know, saying you want to collapse the entire economic system. I don't think that and that, that was what was said, crit- by the way, either. I mean, you know. Uh, and, and I understand that um, if if I were to say that critiquing aspects of the economy is the same thing as bringing down the economic system, then then you'd be right to say, hey, that's uh, that's straw manning my position. You know, if I were to say that that was what you had said, I, I, I don't think that that was what was said. And I just, you know, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that I mean, that's that's fair. I just want to you know, I think that there's probably some. Uh, misuse in semantics and I, I think we all generally probably agree on a lot of the same things and like there are some people that get hyperbolic with their language so I understand that we want to be accurate but I'm just saying like a lot of people that are critiquing aspects of you know quote-unquote capitalism are coming from the right place and they are talking about issues that need to be addressed even if they're phrasing it the wrong way so I think the benefit for people that are smarter or more knowledgeable about economics would be to like put that into proper terms rather than just saying Oh, these people are are crazy, and they want to collapse the system, and then they're they're wrong. I um, I think, and then I, the other thing is, I, yeah. if I if I may, I'll, I'm sorry. Before you move on to the other thing, I'll just say that, like, I think that that's fair, okay? Um, because I understand what you, your point is well taken. That many of the people who are in the in in the uh, in the broader right wing movement who say who have critiques of capitalism, when I hear the word capitalism, I hear Marxist terminology. Okay, and the thing is that I think that even if I was wrong about that, which I don't think I am, but but even if I were, this is a rhetorical lesson for right wingers to learn as they go out into the world and they and they and they try to engage with other people because. You know, when people hear you complaining about capitalism, they 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 make certain assumptions about your politics, and and those 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 assumptions they may vary in merit, but you know, the people who tend to be drawn to anti-capitalism tend not to be the type of people that that we actually want, you know, in right wing groups. I would say, 
and uh, and that is, uh, I would say, worthy of consideration. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, fair enough. I, like I said, I, I called about the FBI being pedophiles. But um, the other thing I was going to say, and it's basically the same thing, but about politics rather than economics, is that critiquing the GOP or pointing out when the GOP fails in its mission of what it should be doing does not mean you're totally checked out of politics and you want to, you know, become like a, an armed revolutionary. You can critique, you know, the party that you're supposed to belong to um, and still be politically active. So well, I, I, I just think that there's a quick thing of like if you're if you're bashing the GOP, all of a sudden it's like, well, you're you're saying there's no political solution and you're, you know, you're a radical. It's like I, I don't think that that's fair. I, I would go so far as to say that, you know, I I, I am entirely too familiar with the phenomenon that um, one can critique the GOP without checking out of politics. Uh, I happen to do this from time to time. You might have heard. Um, the question is, does someone express a series of priorities that involve the destruction of the opposition party to the Democrats? Now, I'm not saying that um, everybody who critiques the GOP does that for sure. Um, uh, since I am someone who has his own criticisms of the GOP, I would I would I would have to categorically rule that possibility out, as a matter of fact. So but I do think that you're aware of the phenomenon to which I refer, which is that, you know, there there are people who who believe that, you know, were it not for the Republicans, things would get so bad under Democrat rule that an opposition would necessarily emerge and perhaps that opposition would be us. Does that sound like you are you are you aware of that phenomenon in some circles adjacent to us? Yeah, I've heard people say stuff like that. Sure. And I I don't I, I believe personally that that's very dangerous. And so, like, you know, the idea that um, we can bring down the Republican Party and then the Democrats will make people so absolutely miserable that that people will you know, glom on to, you know, sort of the next available alternative, say, I think is uh, is 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 irresponsible in the extreme if I put it charitably. And so, you know, that's sort of the critique that I'm making. And if I uh, if I am if I end up wording it in such a way that leads people to believe that I think anyone who critiques the GOP is trying to crash down the system and become a revolutionary anarchist. Well, then, well, then I have certainly failed in my mission in that um, in that particular um, uh, string of uh, text or speech, and I will uh, I will work to correct it. No, it's just the the conversation, and again, it was it was a quick conversation, so I'm not trying to be overly critical, but it's just like the the sense I get from when I hear people talk about this is like. The argument becomes either you support the, the Republican Party or you're checked out of politics and you think there's no political solution. And I think that's like a false dichotomy. And the thing is, is like, you know, would you say the ABL is a political group? It yes. Is. They will critique either party depending on who they want to call out to be anti-Semitic. So there is room to be critical of either or party. And I also think there's a, uh, a fundamental flaw in the logic that if we just get Democrats elected, the system will be so bad that it will be overthrown and then, you know, Nazis can arise or whatever group you want. Because the Republic, I mean, right now we're under Democratic rule and like there's actually, you know, higher deportation levels than under the last Republican president. So like it doesn't necessarily follow that when the Democrats are in control, 
things get so intolerable. I mean, like, I think their rhetoric is worse, obviously, but the functioning of the government doesn't change all that dramatically where you're going to get a, a radically different response from the public from one versus the other. So I just think that the, the logic from both sides, whether you're saying like, oh, I'm an accelerationist, so I want the Democrats to be in power, like that logic is flawed. The Democrats will steer the ship in a similar way to get the outcomes that they want because the left sells stuff to their audience that they don't intend to do just like the right does. So, well, I mean, I get, that's just my general point. If I, if, I could, if I could make an observation about the Anti-Defamation League, I actually don't. Uh, I cannot recall any observation of the Anti-Defamation League making a critique of the Democrat Party. I can recall members of the Anti-Defamation League making critiques about a Democrat from time to time. And that is an important distinction to keep in mind because the ADL will categorically, you know, attack, you know, the the right wing and, and the Republican Party therewith but they will not attack the left wing or the Democrat Party. What they will do is say Ilhan Omar um, is is not doing a is not being a good pet, right? You know, you we brought you here for a reason. Do what we brought you here to do, stupid. You know, they'll do things like that, and they'll you know obviously word it differently so that you know the the, the G don't know. But like you know, th- they do not actually critique the Democrat Party. Do you make that observation? I would say that they critique individuals or trends for both sides. I mean, if you have instances where they're specifically attacking the Republican Party as an institution, I, maybe I missed it, so I'd be open to hearing that. But my my perception of it is that they attack they attack individuals. So they'll attack Donald Trump, they'll attack you know Ilan Omar, et cetera, et cetera, Rashida Tlaib, whatever, um, because their main interest is like furthering primarily Jewish interests and then secondarily they'll they'll talk about you know general racism and human rights and things like that and it's easy to attack the right wing for that because a lot of people that follow the right wing tend to like that kind of stuff or be more open to it um it, it, you know it's like on uh, un- unofficially the white party in a lot of ways so i think that you might see more criticism generally pushed in that direction but that's like more of a uh, a remark on the people that follow the politics rather than the institutions that administer the politics themselves, if that makes sense. But what I would say is that the the opposition that they offer is a it, it, the 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 expressed preference is is very clear. OK, so like even if they even if, you know, I'm not uh, presently in command of the entire text of everything ever said by the ADL, obviously, but let's just let's take it that okay, what they are doing is specifically going after individuals. The, the manner in which they go after individuals or in which they go after ideas, as I think you also said, is such that their their entire push is to, to favor the Democrat Party, right, to the expense of the Republican Party. There's not going to be praise uttered for a Republican general. Maybe the, you know, the APAC can shower praise on a Republican from time to time. The ADL, no. Okay. The entire purpose of the end, it's a Democrat party institution fundamentally. Now, of course it, it is, uh, it is only that to the extent that the Democrat party is helpful to their, to their ethnic interests, but they, uh, but, but there's a, but, but they are never hostile to their ethnic interests, which is also the, it is, which is also a hostile interest to the, to the, to the host population necessarily, right? And so, 
their entire thing is to move things in a leftward direction domestically in order to, you know, to comparatively weaken the the host population. Right. And so they, 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 their, their entire operation is to move things towards the party that's going to do that. Now they can do that in individual terms, but who do they go after? Well, they go after anybody who's like powerful in the thing. So they go after Tucker Carlson, they go after Donald Trump. I mean, the, the, the president and the number one guy on television, like it doesn't take a genius to figure out what the goal is. It's to, it's to give it to the opposition party. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think that the ADL is uh, a Jewish group that's concerned with domestic issues as a domestic organization. So, uh, you know, the the way I guess I'd phrase it, I'm trying to be tactful in how I speak because of where Understandable. We're, Thank uh, you. Avenue we're talking on. Um, the, the they are concerned with domestic issues, and so Jewish ethnic interests are concerned with left wing um, domestic issues and right wing foreign policy issues. So that's why when you mention APAC. APAC's going to lean more rightward because they're concerned with, you know, what the far, what the government's going to do in terms of like supporting Israel and doing foreign policy stuff. Right. So I think it's like you have to look at these things in, in chorus together rather than isolating them and saying, well, the ADL is a, is a left-wing institution and the uh, APAC is a right-wing institution. I think it's more accurate to say they're both Jewish institutions and they both push for the same thing from, you know, different perspectives. Well, I, I, I would say that, uh, yeah, they do. I mean, that's what they are. They're an ethnocentric group that is bent on their ethnocentric interests, and they uh, they tend to work as a unit for the benefit of the ethnocentric group. Okay, great. Now that we've gotten through that thing that I was hoping was going to be short. All right. I, I think it was now, now, that, now that we're done to talking the about that ethnocentric group, now we'll talk about pedophiles, which is a totally separate topic. <laughs> So, um, you know, you, your your monologue today uh, started off and it was mainly about talking about how the FBI runs these like, you know, child porn websites and doesn't take them offline. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to highlight a few recent cases, you know, within the, the past couple of years of, you know, not only does the FBI allow these websites to function, but there's actually FBI agents who tend to, I don't know, for whatever reason, trend towards being pedophiles. Um, there was a recent one that came out in June of this year of an FBI agent in New York named John Magri, and uh, he's been charged with 18 counts of possessing and uh, disseminating child pornography. Um, he had over 700 files of toddlers and infants being raped on his computer. And th- that story, so like I'm going to go through like three or four stories, but that one is particularly upsetting too because, you know, obviously infants being raped is terrible. But there's, the federal government does not prosecute any of these. Like they let local uh, police, you know, do the charges when there's ample, you know, he's, he's distributing this stuff like across the country on the internet. Um, you know, the, and the federal government doesn't step in now, you know, you, I, I'm sure you can imagine if the federal government had an, uh, a desire to, it'd be very easy for them to level charges. And the, typically the federal government has a better success rate of, of prosecuting people and has a lot harsher penalties, but they refrain from doing it in this case um, because, you know, obviously it's one of their own. And pedophilia, it seems like, is not like a purview for the federal government. Like they're not that concerned about that. They're more interested in other things. Um, there is another story going back to April of 2021 where an FBI agent named Chris Bauer was arrested for sodomizing an 11-year-old girl. And, you know, that rape was something he, he was charged for, but that was not the first rape that he had committed. There was another rape where he raped somebody who was over, you know, consenting age with a knife to her throat. 
Um, and again, you know, the, the same the same thing where the federal government didn't want to step in and bother. They let they let local police handle that case. Um, then there's another FBI agent named David Harris who was um, sodomizing children under the age of 13. That's what he was charged with in Louisiana. Um, and uh, there's a Department of Homeland Security agent that was arrested in a, in a pedophile sting where he was trying to solicit sex from a 14-year-old girl in Las Vegas. So, uh, you know, what I'm getting at here is that there is a uh, like it's it's almost common, or or it's like part of the the um, the package. If you want to be a federal agent, that you also have to be a pedophile. Well, at, at the not, very least, that they're tolerating it. I'm not sure that they're putting this in the in the help wanted ads, but you know, it, there's a pattern developing for sure. Um, that definitely appears to be the case for, from what you're describing to me. And you know, if you find yourself in a position where you know you're surrounded by pedophiles and you're not in protective custody in a federal prison, then you might want to ask what it is that you're doing. You know, that this is the company that you're keeping for sure. And of course, you know, if you find yourself in protective custody in a federal prison, you might ask that question as well. But you know, that's that's another subject matter. But um, the uh, I did not know about these stories that you're telling. And they are very interesting. As a matter of fact, though, I, I, I've been uh, I, I, I'm having a little trouble actually getting it up because I found myself in front of a paywall. Um, but uh, I happen to know about uh, this is a problem in the federal prison system as well. There was a, uh, a, a prison guard last year at the Marion Federal Prison who happened to work in something known as the Communications Management Unit, a guy by the name of Christopher David Emery. Um, According to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, a United States federal prison guard in Marion has been caught in an FBI sting targeting those seeking to have sex with minors, charging documents say. Christopher David Emery was charged by complaint in the U.S. District Court in Benton, Illinois, with felony attempted enticement of a minor. Emery met an undercover FBI employee online, charges say, and eventually told her that he is 48 and works for the federal penitentiary in Marion. The FBI employee listed her age online as 18, but told Emery that she was actually 14, charging documents show. After initially balking and raising concerns about being caught by police, Emery on Monday showed up at the purported teen's house in Williamson County and told FBI agents he was planning to mess around with her while her parents were out of town, charging documents show. Emery was arrested on Tuesday. No lawyer was listed for him at the time of writing, and I guess they haven't updated this article since. But uh, yeah, so he was uh, he was a prison guard. It doesn't say it in the article, but I happen to uh, I happen to have some inside information, pun intended, to suggest that he was actually working in the communications management unit. And one day he just didn't show up for work, and people started hearing his name on a radio, and they were like, "Whoa!" And so, uh, yeah, the federal government is run by pedophiles, and I don't even like QAnon. I don't even like like oh, Telegram spam. Keep it. I just don't like pedophiles. You know. Yeah, and there were FBI agents that were whistleblowers that testified before Congress um, stating that they believed that the FBI was taking agents off of child porn cases uh, specifically to pursue political probes. And, you know, this typically involved right-wingers. It involved, you know, churches. It involved, um, you know, parent-teacher meetings where they were kind of upset about um, tranny stuff being taught in the school or, like, anti-white critical race theory um, so, you know, from all different angles, we, we just see that the, it seems like the federal government is, you know, heavily infested with pedophiles, that their goals are not to stop pedophilia, but instead they'd rather uh, divert resources to attacking normal people, parents, and, 
you know, hardworking people, Catholics, Christians, you know, th- this is like what they're, they're aimed at. And, you know, it, it's one thing, like these stories about pedophiles, like are really shocking. Like you hear about like an 11 year old girl being sodomized or whatever. And that's horrible. Um, but it's not just that. I mean, there's tons of stories that came out about them just being generally sexual degenerates and drunks. I mean, um, there was a, another case in 2021 of a Las Vegas FBI agent named Frank um, Sinoda who, he was being sued by a female FBI employee who, you know, had pictures of him that he had. He was sending her photos of a, a rainbow dildo that he get, had kept in his office. Um, he had showed up to work drunk. He was groping women in the stairwell. Um, and th- there's actually an article in AP where, you know, it goes back to 2018 where they it's, it's titled Under the Rug Sexual Misconduct Shapes FBI Senior Ranks. And the, the article <laughs> goes through a number of high-ranking FBI officials that, you know, would retire when they started to be accused of these different, you know, uh, sexual improprieties at work, they would just retire and then they got to keep their benefits and, you know, their name was kept out of the press and they were never prosecuted. Um, but, you know, again, you go through the article, you hear about all these different things. They show up to work drunk, they're groping women, they're, you know, they have pornography going on in the office, they have dildos, they're raping people, you know, it's like all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, this is our federal government. And, you know, their priorities are clear. So I, I think what you were getting at with your monologue is great. And it really drives home the point. Like, they're totally fine with child pornography being disseminated. They just want to use it when they can. And, like, their agents, they tolerate them being sexual degenerates. It's it's literally, they're like, oh, well, you know, let's have the child pornography distributed far and wide. Let's just know who has it so that whenever we want to go snatch them up, we go snatch them up. I mean, that's that's the enterprise, fundamentally. You know, it's like, okay, you know, let's get the degenerate filth out. The same thing with drugs. I mean, really, they've been doing this with drugs for a long time, right? That, like, they do nothing to prevent drugs from proliferating, right? They, they know, they understand where the drugs are coming from. They don't stop it. And then they just, you know, whenever they want to come get somebody, they, they know what to get you for. You know, like in Keene, New Hampshire, like I said, they just stopped enforcing the law. Like they're smoking marijuana in the park every day. Okay. Like literally they go there at a schedule on a regular schedule, smoke marijuana in public. So they know what's going on. They just stopped enforcing the law until they didn't, you know, and that's, that's fundamentally what they do is the lawlessness becomes the it, it it facilitates the ability for arbitrary abuse of power, you know, is fundamentally what it is. And, you know, I think a lot of, you know, misguided libertarians think, oh, well, you know, if they're not enforcing the law, that's like the best thing in the world. And it's like, no, dude, as a matter of fact, like that's a setup, you know, they're like, oh, well, we'll just keep the law on the books and you can do whatever you want until we're angry at you. And then we'll come throw the book at you. And that's what they do. And so I, uh, I appreciate my friend, uh, you bringing those uh, those stories to me because I didn't know about that. Like all the all the all the guys who are actually working there are involved in this stuff. You know, um, it's bad enough when they're letting it go, but they're like, oh well, you know, they're like, well, uh, hey boss, what do you say that we uh, leave this website online? You know, just to catch the bad guys. And the boss is like, yeah, let's do that. You know, <laughs> and so yeah. it's pretty. And I mean, it's pretty it, sick what, stuff. one more point. Yeah, one more one more point I would too I would make off of that too is like you got to think like well what what is the use of that right like you're talking about they they enforce it when they want to or when it when it works for them but how does that how does that look I mean and, and we have to think about people like Jeffrey Epstein you know they these people go out they get you involved in this stuff and then now they own you and if you don't want to be caught up or you don't want your name out there like you know the, you can think about it like an FBI agent, whatever, but like you start thinking about, well, what if, what if we get politicians on that child porn website or we get politicians to do some kind of like 14 year old rape and then 
now we own them. And there's, oh, yeah. you know, that's uh, the whole entire point of the, the enterprise. I think, you know, when you, when you, you know, we've had this conversation before, like, well, how do you explain when such and such did this, even though it seems to be against his campaign promises? I'm like, I don't know. You know, maybe he got caught looking at the wrong thing on the internet. You know, that seems to me a, a very, you know, plausible explanation for a lot of what goes on in our politics, which explains why the media talking heads are so averse to people talking about it. Right. They're like, don't you dare suggest that the politicians are being blackmailed for their sexual proclivities. No, that would never happen. I'm like, oh, then that's definitely it. You know, and so I, I think there's probably a great deal yeah. of that. And there's and, you know, we, we see the FBI doing it, which is like internal and it's like our federal government. But then there's also ties to other governments that do it as like operations with their, you know, uh, their 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 secret service or whatever you want to call it. Like they, they have their special agents around the world operating these kind of rings. And then that benefits other foreign countries that you know get involved in our politics. And the Secret Service is the most degenerate thing. I read. Um, what was it? I, I read a book called titled Zero Fail. Um, and it was, you know, she wrote it during the Trump presidency, basically, you know, it's, it, it's fundamentally like, oh my God, you know, like it's, it, it's, they love to attack the federal government when there's a Republican in charge of it. And then like, once they're back in charge of like, it's so rever I, I just have so much reverence for the federal government, but like she wrote this whole thing that, that told like a, 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 you know, a decades long history of like secret service agents that they go to, you know, you know, guard the president somewhere and then they're out having sex with prostitutes. They're doing all the like, it's crazy. They're like, oh, well, you know, we work for the president. We could do whatever the heck we want. You know, Hunter Biden's probably giving them cocaine or whatever, you know, and uh, it's a it's a complete they're 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 a bunch of they're a bunch of sick degenerates. The Secret Service really it's a it was a very interesting reading. So. Uh, yeah, the federal government's run by pedophiles, and uh, and uh, you know you got to vote the bums out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking my call. Chris. Thank you very much for making a call, my friend. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in to this live airing of Surreal Politics, which we do every Monday at nine thirty p.m. on Odyssey and on Rumble. And uh, and on some other platforms, uh, you know, I don't I don't tend to plug them. You know, let the people on those platforms find us. Uh, and oh, and you know what I do plug? I plug the Get Me Radio app for your smartphone or your Fire TV or your um or your or your Roku. You can listen to us on all those things. Um, you can also use it on the MyTuner app for Roku or Fire TV or Apple or uh, Android. We are just so easy to get a hold of here at Surreal Poetiques and all of uh, the uh, productions of your humble correspondent. And you'll know all of that if you get on the email list at ChristopherCantwell.net slash subscribe. Get on that email list and then check your spam folder every once in a while and tell those crooks at Google that I am not a spammer. Just make sure they know it every single time. And then when you get sick of doing that, you go over to SurrealPolitics.com slash GetPM or you go to RightWingSecurity.com. You'll find the links there as well. And you go get yourself a proton mail account because you know what proton mail is proton mail is actually it's actually like real email like it actually works proton mail so you know what they do so like this facebook right you get facebook facebook is what's known as a platform right and so facebook is a completely contained thing that mark zuckerberg runs as his his own little fiefdom and he's like well i wouldn't want you to upset me so he deletes your stuff or whatever he doesn't let other people see it in any case and so so that's what that's what a platform is. It's basically a, a means by which to manipulate you. 
Email is supposed to be what's known as a protocol, okay, which is everybody does the same thing and then the systems are interoperable, okay? But then, like, you know, what happens is some people, they're, they're what's the word I want to use without cursing? They're a-holes, okay? And so a-holes, sometimes they, they think they're very powerful and they're like, well, you know, in the name of protecting my users from spam, I'll just pretend that email is a platform and that I can do to your email what Mark Zuckerberg does to Facebook. Okay, and so that's what Gmail and Microsoft do because they're a bunch of criminals. And so you could get email that's not run by criminals from ProtonMail and then you'll get your email when you're supposed to. And when it is spam, they'll let you know that there's spam in your spam inbox. Okay. But you're not going to get much spam either because they'll like they'll they'll dump real spam like they're responsible email providers. And even if you just get the free account, I mean, you don't even have to pay for it. It's free. But, you know, you can pay for it if you want to. And you get a better level. So that's what I, I pay for. It's great. And so you should do that. Surreptolitics.com, get PM or um, uh, 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 rightwingsecurity.com. And uh, at Right Wing Security, you get the VPN and all that stuff, too. And you can secure yourself online. I'll, and you go there pretty soon. I'll tell you more about Tor. It's a great website. Um, right wing secure. They got an email list too. You get on there and you just give everybody your email address. And then eventually, you know, you know, it's just great. And so, uh, you're going to see me on Wednesday cause you're a member obviously. And if you're not, well, you know, it's not too late. Like it's not Wednesday yet. Surrealpolitics.com slash join. You get, you be a member and look, I know, look, I usually do, this is for the, uh, the, the other people, the, the uncensored people, but you guys are nice people. And so if you want, like, I'll tell you a trick, I'll tell you a trick. Okay. Don't tell too many people about this. Okay. Just the people who listen to the podcast, which is, you know, thousands of people, but whatever. If you use the promo code agenda 33 at checkout, when you become a member, then you get 33% off for your first three months. And that's because. I'm Christopher Cantwell, and it's a C, and it's like a code. It's a trick, okay? And there's there's a whole thing behind it. There's like there's like 14 different meanings of it. And so uh, if you do that, you get you get Agenda 33. You become a member for six dollars and seventy cents a month. If you're so broke that you really can't afford that, let me know. We'll work it out. You do me a favor, maybe whatever. We'll figure it out, okay? Because you're missing out. It's a great thing to be a member at surrealpolitics.com slash join. And then, like, if you do that, then, then like, the T-shirts, the hats, the mouse pads, the stickers, the, the tools, the electronics, all the fantastic things that I sell there are deeply discounted for members. But you have to be a member to even see the price. Like, you can't even know what the prices are unless you're a member. I mean, you can see, like, what the, the retail price is. But you don't even know what the member price is until you're a member. So you go become a member, and then your membership will, boom, it's it's approved. You don't have to wait to get approved. It happens right away. And uh, it's great. It's great. And then you'll be able to buy stuff. Um, it's great. And if you just, I mean, if you don't want to do any, if you don't want anything in return, no problem. Uh, Gibsandgo.com slash SPM. You fork over cash that way. And then I just, all I do is I I take the money, and uh, and I and I go over... I buy, I go buy things. I go to stores. I pay bills. Um, I, I pay for all the services that I have to pay for to keep this production online. It's just, it's, I'm so good at it. Um, taking your money and putting it to better use than you. It's really, it's what I do for a living. And so I'm really grateful for all of you who make that possible. Thank you, especially to Dave. Thank you to Afternoon Shift. All you guys who are in the, um, in the Surreal Poetics 
uh, chat on Odyssey. Have you guys hit the like button yet? That fire thing right there? Because, you know, let me turn that down. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm still talking and you're screaming in my ear. It's just a little outro music. Hit the like button already. Like, what's wrong with you? There's, you know, there's all you in the chat. You don't like my show? You don't like my show? Just click the like button. Go ahead. All right. And you're subscribed, right? You're right. That's free. Just subscribe for free. Do it. I don't even need your email address. You just hit the button.